0: Live from the Isolate Tower, this is Darrell Trains of Thought.
1: All right, Tim. Welcome. I know we kind of need to keep our voices down yeah, here. There's a lot of studying going on. But uh, this isn't this isn't in PR. Um, um, and I think we found I think we've somehow managed to find a relatively safe room where we can talk. Well, there's not many people here. It's a big place. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. It echoes a little bit.
1: But yeah, I mean, it's very it's very peaceful. Except when the, the guy with the book is kind of looks up and glares
0: at you. Yeah, I wouldn't want to make. Yeah.
1: yeah. Thankfully, I think we found another room that's, uh, you know, I don't actually want to whisper. Have, have people That'd be a hard. that'd it. be a
0: hard podcast.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be hard to listen to, I think. But uh, it's it's a very studious place. I, I it... really
0: kind of feel I'm just go, go sitting in for a little bit. It sounds kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little mind-numbing after a while.
1: Yeah, it, part of me would also be really curious to explore this, this island that we're yeah. on. Like, the, it seems very, like, it almost it kind of makes me think of, like, a Renaissance fair, almost.
0: I think we we'll about to go. I hear there's some weird little creatures run around too. Oh yeah? Yeah. Some friends with. See, check out the wildlife. Yeah, and, exactly. So cool. I'm happy to be here at Islet Tower
1: with you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad because I don't want <laughs> to do a podcast by myself. <laughs> it's probably it's probably quite the uh the change from uh what catch you from podcasting with me last month? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the youth event?
0: Yes. It was quite uh 2200 youth all uh for about four or five days, giant, very loud music that like makes you feel like your, your organs are shaking around inside of you. <laughs> yeah, very different than here. Yeah. <laughs> good, nonetheless, but very different. That's good. They had a good time. Yeah, it was, good, a, good it was a good conference. Great speakers as always. Yeah, it went, it went really well. Um, besides that, I guess we'll go ahead and start the study place, Story School. I think this is actually I don't know who the idea this was originally but then you said let's do this one. I
1: think it might have been my idea cuz I remember having a conversation with someone actually back when I was at working at the Italian grill okay about words and how a word could be basically what we're going to talk today about is words and meaning, words and meaning, very philosophical, very philosophical, and I think that which is one of the reasons why I suggested the topic like two years ago. And we're like,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll do that.
1: <laughs> been, been kind of putting it off, but you know, this is uh, and the conversation I had with the guy was basically. I don't remember how it came about now because it's 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 been a while. But we working talking with a coworker, and his uh, perspective was this whole sort of words can be mean pretty much anything you you make them to mean. You can choose the mean because we invent words. We come up with words to describe our, the world around us. Twas
0: brilliant. What. Twas brillig and all the wobbing, mimsy wob and mimsy-in-the-way. Yeah, um, Jabberwocky, you ever read that poem? Oh, okay. No. The Al- Lewis Carroll just made junk up. So. <laughs> <laughs> warble sword, wouldn't snicker snack. Pretty yeah. much. Anyways. Well, Dr. Seuss did the same yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, horrible <laughs> sidetrack. I just had to say twas brillig.
1: <laughs> but another aspect of this, too, is that we live in such a visual um, media world nowadays. Yes. That um, there's not even necessarily a great focus on what
0: words are trying to say. That's They're true. just kind of a means to win, and we
1: kind of stick words together to make
0: them do whatever we want them to. In an internet culture, it's too long. Didn't to read. You just kind of skim the headlines, and yeah, exactly. And that, that words are simply informational,
1: and it can be a sort of a mindset for some people. Even like I, I've I've heard of people who like a friend of mine was telling me about one game channel he watches on YouTube, mm-hmm. where uh, it'll be two two guys play it together but the one guy who's playing will usually just kind of skip past like all the introduction or all the text screens and then he'll get to that gameplay it's like wait what am i doing because, <laughs> because he had no patience to actually read what was in front
0: of that I, when i was young i had a friend who played role-playing games we didn't much care about all the talking and uh, like why are you playing a role-playing game <laughs> that's like half the point at least for me it was yeah
1: but the a quintessential sort of conflict between the modern visual and like old school the importance of words I always go back to think of in undergrad at uh, Taylor University upland-hmm there was an art school there, and the senior one of the things the senior art school students had to do was a special display, the senior display. Okay. There wasn't always room for it in the, like, they have a little art gallery, but there wasn't always room for everyone's all the seniors. So sometimes it would be in other places, like in hallways or at the library. Well, in one time, they did a thing in the library out in, um, before you got into the main area where the books are. I don't know yeah. if you've, you've, you've been to Upland Library maybe. Like a few times, yeah. Um, there's kind of a lounge area out there. And so this time there was he had a display out there, and his whole theme, I think, she, I think it was two guys actually. The whole theme of the art display was "Words are dead, image is king." And uh, he's a writer. I protest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember all the details of it. I think they, they had some big easels and things like that, and all the the paper on it was made up of pages torn out of old books. Okay, basically, and you know, just kind of plastered on yeah. the walls. I think, there was a, uh, I, I think there was a TV with a, with a woman or a face or something, like a talking head, basically, yeah. but you couldn't hear what they were saying. They were talking. Okay. At least I, if I remember, I think that was part of it. That may be something from Doctor Who. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think there was also like a, a bicycle that was covered in these papers. Okay. No one really understood what the bicycle was for. <laughs> but anyway, that was kind of the theme of the thing. Well, the same time this came out, I was in a uh, basic rhetoric communication class because yeah. my major was mass communications mm-hmm. at Taylor Upland, and I was there mostly for video and media stuff. So I, having to go to a rhetoric class that was all about like studying Greek philosophers was really not my thing or, and really not the thing of the other sort of people. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a requirement at that time yeah. of uh, being part of the communications department to take this class. And the teacher of that class was this uh upper 60s little old like 5 foot 4 woman okay. very classic and so she actually wound up having the two guys who did this art display in her class and she said when i saw your display i was so profoundly disturbed by it because i've devoted my entire life to words and teaching yeah. students the how important communication is and having the exact words and she said the only thing i could the only word i i could use to convey my disturbance by this was would be rape, um, which is like, okay, that's a little extreme, but you know, she, you know, Use this is the word on purpose. <laughs> yes, yeah, She uses that word on purpose. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was an interesting conversation for, because our class is made up of people who were, you know, wanting to go into public relations yeah. and they did value um, the, you know, the written word and you know, that kind of stuff. And then some of us who, we value that, sure, but it wasn't really our primary focus. Yeah. But it was interesting to kind of get into the mind of one of these artists. I think he, I remember one thing he said is, is like, I mean, he felt very, he, he was flattered in some ways, but that he managed to elicit such a strong reaction. Yeah. But I remember one of, the set, one of the things he said is that he, he felt so strongly that words were kind of going out. He said, like, I don't even necessarily think in terms of words anymore. He, I guess he was a very visual sort of person. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's way different than I am.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that was even like, I think pretty much everyone in our class, this was, like, probably midway through the semester, and after we were talking, I was like, that sounded weird. <laughs> like, even if you are a more visual person than some people, like, just about everyone, I think, at some point, verbalizes to themselves what they're going to say or, you know. Well, and he was explaining his, his reasoning for his art with words. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And this is kind of the whole point. I mean, we talked about— uh, We're on a podcast. We, we are on a podcast <laughs> where, where we use words quite a bit to explain— Not always well, but— and um, you know, is is interesting. I showed you an XKCD strip that was about basically um, how words is it's hard to even trust. What they mean, because in some way they're so artificial. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you can use words to make up stuff. So how can how can they actually mean anything? But they actually did another strip more recently. I think it was with a uh, Humpty Dumpty type character okay. or something, where he was basically making the same argument. But then the other com- person in conversation was using the same sort of refutal that you and I had to the comic. Yeah. But you're using words to
0: claim that words are pointless. Yeah, yeah. You can't get around it. No one communicates with without. In normal life, very well without words. I mean, I just finished three months of tears. Aramis tries to communicate without words to his servant, but... Sorry, random. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. It was an interesting thing. Like, they hardly ever talk to each other. He just makes a signal, and his servant knows what he wants. And, uh-huh. um, but you, you usually think it's, you know deficient if you're not talking to someone you know. Mm-hmm. You don't just, like, wink at them or... To, like charades, charades is a game because it's
1: because you're you're limited by not actually yeah. being able to yeah. use words.
0: So where do you want to go with this? I got I got
1: things I'm thinking of, but well, I guess first, obviously, words have a place. But yeah. I guess let's address the question of how important of a place because there's that saying a picture is worth a thousand, thousand words. words. You can say a lot more with just a picture sometimes. So what is the value then necessarily of words? Obviously, some are usually
0: you can't do without. But. It, it seems like when we talked, I was listening to old podcasts, I don't remember which one, when we talked about kind of visual versus written medium, mm-hmm. the problem with visual self largely is that they're much more ambiguous. Mm. It's more open to interpretation. More open to interpretation. Words are specific. The whole reason poets choose just the right word is to not choose all the not right words. Mm. And I feel like what they feel that um, uh, images tend to be more emotionally charged inherently than words need to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like rhetoric class, you're choosing words to make points, to make arguments, to make logical. I mean, that's one of the main uses of words, and you don't, you can't make image, you can't, you can use images for arguments. I mean, I've seen it done effectively. Mm-hmm.
1: But words are a little bit more precise in terms of, like, making a logical... They're almost like the replacement... If if uh, a logical argument is with a mathematical equation,
0: yeah. then words are in place of numbers, essentially, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, kind of. I mean, at least it's how it's been used. Again, that's the Western way. I don't know, you know... How Eastern people would... Yeah, I don't know if there's that. a difference or not a difference on that. See, the problem when we start talking about words, I would want to go back to the more philosophical state of... And, and this is probably going too far at this point, but, like, as Christians, words are inherently important. God speaks and things are created. We say that the important truths are embodied in a book and not in images. Mm-hmm. That there's something unique about words. Most of the prophets, not all of them, most of the prophets get words from God. Sometimes you get a weird person like Ezekiel who all gets like images or a Zechariah or Daniel. But those are actually not the norms for how God communicates to people.
1: Well, and talk a little bit, I I looked a little bit at, uh, there was a book that you had suggested. Yeah, I haven't read it yet either. Um, (laughs) Okay. How do you say this guy's name? I don't really know. Poitreus Verne. In the beginning
0: was the word. Oh, that's the name of it? I think that's the name of it, yeah. So it's uh, it's a free book. He, he, he allows it for. I think he probably sells it as well, but it's okay. on his website. He, you can freely download it because he's more concerned than people. Anyway, and, it. W-
1: yeah. uh, so I skimmed some of this because I would like to
0: read it someday. It's
1: like a four hundred page book. Yeah. So I, it, it's very scholarly, very academic. But from when I skimmed some ideas, he also talks about well. In the beginning was the word. Yeah. And the word, in there is a direct reference to God. Yeah. To Jesus, that uh, by him all things are made and without him nothing was made that has been made, meaning referring to the word or Jesus. So in a sense it almost made me wonder if one reason why the third commandment is don't use God's name in vain mm. is because God takes language so
0: seriously. Like there's nothing,
1: there is nothing without language.
0: Well, he is like, well, like Jesus says, you know, he's in the Mount. you know, let your yes be yes, your no know, no, no. Anything else is from the devil, basically. Yeah. Um, that there's a sense that, well, it's interesting when you, that's biblical. But if you just go to stories language in the in the more fan, you know fantastical stories or the more epic stories is so important when you make a promise it's binding mm-hmm. you no know, you don't break your word that's like a that's like almost magic in it's a word and then there's other things where knowing the right word in in all kinds of literature or even in occult stuff, knowing the right word gives you power over things. it well, was a big deal in uh,
1: Wizard of Mercy and probably yeah.
0: in the other Wursy books, but that's the only one I've read. Yeah, in so the Wizard of Mercy by Arshil Gwen, You know, knowing the knowing the word, the true name of something, gives you power over it. And that you know, that's sort of the thing of you know, relating, misusing God's name. And, you know, when you, your name's Yahweh, I am who I am. You don't, it doesn't give you power over Him when He's like, I am whatever I am. Don't you know? Yeah, I suppose you, you know, more magic. Well, sort of thing.
1: Well, and it's interesting, I, I guess that word Yahweh, I think super-Orthodox Jews wouldn't even pronounce no, it. No,
0: no, and they won't, yeah, and it's written without the vowel, so you don't pronounce it, mm-hmm. right, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah I remember hearing um, that. But it, it's, it's very interesting, at least in the Christian thought process, history, words have always been, you know, we would call each other the people of the book, mm-hmm. that, you know, books, words are important. It's interesting now, and we'll get off the biblical thing in a second, but... It's interesting, almost every time people, like prophets have visions, a lot of times they're like, they have to ask an angel to explain, what, what does this mean? Mm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: They never do that when he just gives them words. That's an interesting point. I just now thought of that. Huh. Be, meaning there's an ambiguous... Ambigu- Am- ambiguous? Ambiguity. Aha! <laughs> See, I can't use words right, but I try. <laughs> when it's interesting, poetry, you know, people usually say the highest form of literature is poetry. Mm-hmm. Because you use the least amount of words to communicate the most amount of stuff ideas ideas and, you know we've always kind of inherently thought poetry was elevated i mean a lot of you know religious literature is in poetic form or epics you know used to be poems because that was a higher form
1: well it's sort of a dance because it's like a dance between words and and rhythm yeah and yeah exactly you you have to pick very specific words not only for the meaning but for the sound and for the the pace i guess that's why they consider it
0: more elevated because it's it's so intricate now do in defense of images since you talk about you know poetry is kind of like music and song mm-hmm. you no know, music without lyrics has a lot of power oh sure but it also has a lot of fluidity you know once you put throw a lyric on it it means something mm-hmm. you know which is why i can use things without lyrics and i'll write all kinds of short stories off of them but someone else could listen to the same thing and get something completely different out of it in theory a well-written piece of thing is trying to communicate something specific now, people can misinterpret it, get different things out of it. You might oh, want sure. to get certain different things out of it, and words do change in meaning. Oh well, yeah, they're, they're the same word can mean different things in different cultures. Exactly, or even just in different sentences.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's
0: true. <laughs> so I mean, English is a particularly pliable language in that so, way. <laughs> so I mean, there is a certain truth that words are fluid.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting, you know, when the, when the very first jobs God gave man was to go name things. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's pretty remarkable when you think about... Um, of all the things you could do. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it's... Her first act God gave humans was to be creative, in a sense. Yeah. Like, because obviously God had his own names for giraffes and elephants <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. And our English names for those things now are different than probably what Adam would have come up with. Yeah. But... Language itself is sort of a human means of imitating God, I think. It's yeah. of of creativity, of well,
0: and I mean, expression. Even from a, a non creative point of view, language is really the thing that separates us from the rest of the animals. Nothing else has the sort of capacity for language. I mean, brain-wise, neurologically, like infants and two-year, up to two-three-year-old are just—they're hardwired for language.
2: Mm-hmm. They
0: learn language at an absurd rate. You know, which is not an easy thing to learn when you think about it. Or if no. you ever try to learn language when you're not to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a, a different language. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Sorism, which is a book which was coming out this fall. A book that uh, you mm. wrote and, and edited na- and, in, and Nathan Aaron uh, also, Rufin, also, also wrote on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting because I tried to write a character who grew up kind of a wild child, you know, raised by wolves sort of mentality, never learned language, and then have the early chapters where... He has this encounter and suddenly words exist mm-hmm. in his, and try to communicate that there was a certain level of being he had and that once words encapsulated reality, that the way he thinks about things and, and views himself and can process past and future completely changes. Hmm. I, I I stole some of that when you read uh, Tarzan. I don't know if you ever read okay. Tarzan. No, i never read it's it. It's very in, well. It's interesting because he like he reads French and he learns to speak English. It's weird, but <laughs> um, that that idea of not knowing language and what it does. Again, I was making up. And there's probably studies of people who've done that actually. But I think even how you can process information your world and where you sit in it changes once you have words for things. Like you ever heard seen those those um they go on Facebook sometime. These German words for feelings you have but you never knew a name for. No. You know, like ones like, you know, where you suddenly glimpse. I, I wish I can. not Some very specific. Very, very specific uh, emotions that everyone feels. And once you see the word for it, you're like, yes, that's yeah. what I meant. I, I needed a word for that. I this. needed a word for that. Sure. One more interesting story. Unrelated. I read a story about the Cherokee Indians. Uh, uh, well, a book, actually. Okay. About the Trail of Tears and everything beforehand. But when the guy came in and tried to teach them, he, he wrote down the language. He didn't have a written language. Uh-huh. And he taught a child the written language. And they like, they'd like say something, he'd write something down, he'd give it to a child, and the child could say. And they thought, they're like, it's witchcraft that you could... Oh, really? Yeah, they they, they they thought it was just like, that you could write this thing on the thing and it would communicate this meaning to another wow. person. Because we don't ever think about it. Uh-huh. Because it just, we are such a literate culture. Uh-huh. Who knows, it might turn into a post-literate culture at some point. But... <laughs> Uh, but, yeah. do I, you know, th- this idea that the wonder, that the fact that I can put a word down and it communicates images, meaning, experiences to another person.
1: Well, that's the bizarre thing about words in some ways, because if you think about, one, it's an abstract concept yeah. that exists in our minds somehow. Two, then it has to be spoken or communicated in some yeah. way. And, you know, if it's spoken, it's weird lip and, and mouth and tongue movements yeah. that I'm currently making with my mouth and lips and teeth. <laughs> or it's a written thing where you're using ink or lead yeah. or pencils, you know, whatever to, uh, have certain weird shapes that's kind of, and you look at that and you decipher it as a word. Yeah. Um, that was one other thing in some of the, what I was, uh, browsing through in, a. Uh, in the beginning was the word, because he talks about how, and I'm not going to be able to remember the exact three things, but he talks in some ways about how a word itself has those three things. One, it has a definition. Like mm-hmm. if it's a, if it's a dog, yeah, it's a you know it's the idea of that animal. Yeah, as a gram uh, grammar sort of sense, dog is singular. If you add an s, then it becomes mm-hmm. a plural thing. So there's grammar to every yeah. single word, and then there's the I think it's the physical representation or something like that. The,
0: yeah, how it's either spoken or written. Yeah. And...
1: and he points out how it's like if you don't have any of those three things, you don't have a word. And which and it's just interesting again, the whole God being the word. Yeah. God three in one. It's just
0: well, that's a, Yeah, that is interesting.
1: Yeah, it was, it was like, whoa, that's a
0: crazy parallel. I, yeah, I feel like I mean, it sounds on one hand kind of ridiculous, on the other hand, words are I mean, they're astounding. I mean, just language in general is a is a fascinating thing. I mean, there's, I, I listened to this entire, uh, the teaching company had a whole thing on linguistics, how language changes and everything. I listened to it. But they were talking about a whole group of sign language kids. And like, just in like that generation, they create a whole jargon and everything. Mm. I mean, just, it was just sign language. You couldn't even speak. But they, like, it evolved and changed and they all understood things. And no one else outside that group did. Yeah. I mean, the, this this sort of, Thing between between people, yeah, yeah.
1: and see, and that's interesting. It goes, it makes me think of the the idea of the Trinity again, which I I still uh, owe C.S. Lewis a great deal of of gratitude for this understanding of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, where he said, like, who I am when I interact with you. Uh, yeah. Or if I interact with another person, is sort of a different thing? You know, me being by myself is not quite complete, or it's a different side, or something like that. Yeah. Whereas God is kind of got because it's three and one he's constantly in interacting. Yeah, he's in community. It's a constant sort of community thing, and that's I guess that's getting a little away from the word idea. But well, I it, guess there's it, got to be communication between three people. Yeah. So or
0: three person. Yeah. How,
1: yeah. One of the other interesting things about being in a communications program. And it's interesting. Taylor doesn't do that now. Now it's the there's a media program and there's communications, okay. Thing, which I understand. There's I think there's advantages and disadvantages of doing that. You're definitely more focused in on the actual, um, you know, if you want to be a cinematographer, you don't necessarily need to learn some of this other the- yeah. theory type stuff. And there's certainly some theory type stuff that I think really has very limited use outside of academics. But one of the things I I, I do recall from even like public speaking class. And thinking this is either really useful or the most blindingly obvious thing that we just don't think about. It's just the, when we communicate from one person to another, I'll have in my head something that I think I, I will understand perfectly clear. And then I try to translate it to you. It comes out of, if you were, Nick is watching me yeah. point in my head <laughs> and then points to my mouth, but you can't see that. Closed captioning available. <laughs> um, but basically, so you've got an idea in your head. Communication is basically trying to project that idea from my head into your head. And the means to do that in this case is spoken word, or it could be written word. Yeah. And my understanding is perfectly clear. Whether or not I'm able to successfully transfer
0: that to your head is, you know, depends on my use of good language. To reverse it, it's interesting. A lot of times I know people and or myself, we don't quite know what we think. Until we verbalize it. Oh, that's an interesting point. You know, until you write oh. it down or until you tell someone, then you're like, oh, that's what I meant. Like, sometimes putting things into words helps you make the connections that you couldn't make if you were just, you're just thinking about it.
1: And I, th- I think we've we've accomplished that a couple of times in story school. Well, many times in story school. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, what are we going to talk about here? And then we, we, by the done it's like, wow, I
0: learned something. Yeah, exactly. So... So there's something magical to happen. And I'm only doing that half tongue in cheek because you read enough fancy stuff, mm-hmm. words are magic. Yeah. You say things, you make promises, you find the true name, you know, even never ending story. You need to name the child like Empress. Mm. And then that saves the entire universe. Yeah. You know. Well, oh, and how many spells depend on the right magic words or you yeah, know you're pronouncing it right and yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's something that seems to be intuitively just understood. I mean, it shows up in pagan stuff all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. But just kind of intuitively, I mean, it's misused and whatever, but that, that words matter. Yeah. You know, even in a proverb sense, you know, the tongue can bring life or death. And That's a whole other part of language that it, what I, how I say things affect you. Mm-hmm. Whole, line's been you know, we say sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you, but yeah. it's just a lie. Yeah. Or, <laughs> words can build up and they can tear down. And I, images can, too, I mean, to a certain extent, but there's just a, there's a distinct, distinctness in a, to the power, to the information communicated, to the clarity that words bring about. The images I don't think can do in the same sort of distinct way. Well, given that, let's... let's, let's they do art therapy and they get emotions out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And given that, let's look a little briefly then at where did the idea come from that words are so malleable you know why why does postmodernism attack the the meaning understanding of words because postmodernism (laughs) well you know (laughs) when we're when we're debating what even the the meaning of the word is is
2: is. (laughs) i mean
1: that's sort of a classic i mean even that's that's getting going back several years almost
0: 20 years ago now In in that time period, I listened to Ravi Zacharias, apologist, some of his podcasts, and he has this story he tells. I'm going to butcher it, but it, like he saw the newspaper. One was, or maybe it was the TV, like they were asking people around the street, do words mean anything, or just do you make up the meaning? They're like, oh, means are made up. And then, and you're like, are they right and wrong? Oh, no, just up to each other. And then the third thing was like, if Saddam Hussein doesn't stop playing these word games, we're going to have to punish it. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> right or wrong doesn't matter, words don't mean anything, but. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it, it's interesting, because I mean, we have talked about how words have a certain malleability, yeah. how yeah. a certain group of people together will come up with a certain understanding of a word. Yeah. The, the words will be different across cultures. But just because it has, we have that sort of creativity, that sort of misunderstanding, that doesn't mean that there isn't a root understanding yeah. to
0: all and that. I don't know why in postmodern, again, I haven't read postmodern theory and language and I wonder how much of it's rooted in a preconception of what, that there is no truth and then you work backwards to words or whether there's something inherent in words they think doesn't have meaning and then they work towards, you know, mm-hmm. where do they start? You know, you start with the idea that there's no truth, then of course you're going to say well, well, then words know, aren't that important it's kind of like this, it's probably just an ex- I don't know, if you know more than I do on this please write us, but um <laughs> You no, know, almost like reader response. On one hand, it's true you read a story different when people respond in different ways. But the more extreme version will be the meaning of the story is only in how you what you think it means, mm. as opposed to the writer meant something and that's what it means, and we react differently. And that's just part of how language works and how we come to other people's things and how, part of how art works. Yeah, exactly. You know, but there, there's there's. That sort of re and the re-responsive says the entire meaning of the work depends on what you take it to be, which you don't think is fair to the piece of art. I mean, but if you just say that, almost that if inherently truth is personal, if here's what I'm saying, but here's what you're getting, mm-hmm. and there's no reason why we should bridge the gap, yeah, then you could say words, you know, it's almost like personalized culture. You know, so there's different meanings over culture. You just say, well, my individual culture is different than your individual culture, so then when we both say, let's eat a sandwich, we just hope that we both mean the same thing. I don't know. I'm kind of making it up. but No,
1: I mean, th- that makes sense. I mean, it. there has to be a certain level of cooperation, it, or a certain sort of goal of trying to Get to the same understanding of something. unless you don't even care. <laughs> yeah, unless you don't want to come to the same <laughs> yeah. understanding, then we have we have completely different ex-
0: definitions of what a man and a woman is. Yeah, and, and so maybe that's the whole thing that if you don't actually care what the other person was trying to say, you only care what you get out of it. Mm. Then we stop having the, as their much power. The effectiveness,
1: because the whole point because you're you're purposefully blocking that effectiveness in a sense. Yeah. Or it, twisting it, or, well, yeah. Or rebelling against it, or... Diluting it. Look at <laughs> beca-
0: we'll the thesaurus out, we'll just keep going. <laughs> it becomes fake news, you so, know. It's like, but, but, you know, there's a reason dictionaries exist. You know, so you can say, what does this actually mean? Yeah. And they and they they get different meanings over time. Like, silly used to mean saintly, and now it means silly. Oh, really? Yeah, that you, I, I, and again, in that, that teaching company session about um, linguistics, you'd be like, silly... Silly Saint Mary, you know, silly Mary, and uh-huh. it was more saintly. Silly being more innocent. Okay. And over years, it turned from innocent to not wise to. Oh, interesting. You know, kind of went that angle. Uh huh. Um, which is why sometimes when we read Shakespeare. There's certain words that just don't mean what they used to mean. Uh huh. But yeah, and there's all kinds of examples of that. Sort oh yeah, of thing. yeah, certainly. I'm all over the places. <laughs> short short stories go. I'm like, let's just tell stories today. <laughs> So what
1: what should writers and storytellers take away from this whole conversation? Abandon words or uh, <laughs> or use words?
0: Well, okay, I'm a writer, but I would I think I think I would encourage writers to not just use words as like I'm just going to try to be workmanlike with words, but really care about words. There's a lot of power, and anyone who's read a good book knows this. Mm-hmm. You like the book because how it's okay. Not everyone, but there, there's certain type of book you like because of how it's written. Mm -hmm. And that's because of the words they chose, not just because the plot. If you only cared about workmanship, about, I'll just get plot through, that's one thing. But there's so much in, you read the story because how it it says it. Mm. And that's something that, you know, is a person who knows how words work. And I think creators or viewers, find those things that make you think, I'm glad he wrote it this way. Mm, mm-hmm. And then see, like, that's why you care about words. And then try to do that in your own work. Yeah. No, it's not I'm... just, you know, another story real quick. Summer, I think Summer, read um The Maze Runner, or no, listened to an audiobook. She said it's wretched as audiobook. Really? Because it's just so, well, Summer's very tuned into pretty words. Uh-huh. But it's very just... Blunt and, and and clunky and you know, just very action, 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 action. Interesting. Without the I don't know and Natasha didn't quite as much reading it. But uh-huh. when you hear it out loud, it just it feels like it's like Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. When I, I listened to parts of the Silmarillion audiobook, and the thing that surprised me in some ways was the the guy who read it, he did a fine job, but it was but it was a different I didn't listen to the whole thing. Yeah. But it was almost more of a I'm trying to even sort of, I don't, I don't know quite what the, if it was a different accent. You need or, the right words. Yeah, exactly. It's a re, it's, I need the right words to describe <laughs> it. I almost had a, kind of a, a Celtic or a, not even Celtic, it's not, not the right word. It's the sort of guy that you might picture if he was like a druid. Okay. M- reading it or something like that. Yeah. Whereas I think because of the the Lord of the Rings movies, and you have you know, you've got Galadriel talking very yeah. and it's much more ethereal, which is how I had usually read a lot of a lot of it and so not yeah. necessarily in Galadriel's voice. <laughs> not <laughs> not that specifically. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no Can't Blanchett did not impress that strongly on me. But still I would I think I was influenced more by that sort of, a sort of hearing the language in that way, as opposed mm-hmm. to, and it, I don't know that it either was necessarily. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a Tolkien linguist yeah. that uh, I could say which is really the best sort of uh, pronunciation or delivery of that yeah. sort of thing. But it is interesting that even the the sound of it carries a different mm-hmm. sort of sort of vibe.
0: Um, but I that might be another sidetrack. So yeah, I I mean I think I think all writers should have a. A high view of words. Mm. Um I maybe mean, sometime we should do a whole thing on imagery. Um that, that would be an interesting guess, counterpoint to this. Um I mean and we can do it in two years from now. <laughs> 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 yeah, not I mean, so much knocking imagery, but there's something very special about words.
1: Yeah. That's yeah, I, I, I think its own thing. I think the I think there should be a dialogue or a continual conversation um <laughs> <laughs> between words and imagery. I'm not sure how how Words say stuff, and then there's a picture to throw at it. You know what's you know interesting? Words create imagery, but I don't think imagery to create words as easily. Well, you have to, like, interpret imagery to, yeah. through words,
0: basically. To, yeah, exactly. I mean, I was just random.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. But anyway.
0: <laughs> Way <laughs> we, off topic. Yeah, we, okay.
1: But this, we're, we're going a little long here, so we should
0: probably wrap it up. All right. So anyways. Use your words nicely. <laughs> choose your um, words wisely. Choose your words wisely. <laughs> it seems like
1: such an obvious
0: thing. <laughs> um, that's like I mean, something like the wizard says to the, choose your words wisely. Yeah. But I mean, again, that's
1: kind of the, the whole mystique. I mean, it's something that we take for granted so easily. But when you dissect it, it's 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 almost like a science. Like, how do, how do plants grow? Well, on a basic level, it's understandable.
0: But when you dig into the biology of it, it's incredibly complicated. I, I always tell my kids, I'm like, look at this. I threw some dirt. And some sun and some water, and we got this. This has nothing to do with any of those three things. Anyways, um, <laughs> random this night. Think about words
1: and language that way. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our soundtrack before we muddle our metaphors too much. Hopefully, <laughs> oh
0: words are great until you like stretch them beyond all meaning. <laughs> That's what puns do. I should mention pun anyway. Um, so, Tim, yes. soundtrack. I guess it's mine. Is to I think right. it's yours first, yes. Okay. I looked at lots of options. I wondered if it was something only vaguely related. So the ti- some things you need to use words for and some things you really shouldn't. And so the title of this remix is You Don't Talk About Flight Club. What <laughs> were you just saying about puns? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Interesting fact. Puns were often used in religious documents because it's a higher level of language. Huh? Your elevating language it mean two things at one time. Oh, okay. So You, you also could, use them in advertising,
1: but can you use a pun in poetry than have like a double whammy? Of, oh, yeah, up, yeah. Up yeah. I mean, it's
0: not funny then, no, oh, okay. But it's, I mean, I always use an example. Jeremiah is shown this vision of an almond tree, and he's like, What do you see, Jeremiah? And God says, An almond tree, and he's like, Yes, exactly. And then you use some Hebrew word, which I guess is a pun on almond, to really? make a point. Yeah, God uses puns, that's yeah, God awesome. Uses puns. I use it all the time to prove people when they're like, Don't use puns, I'm like, They're holy. Um, <laughs> that's why they don't hold water um (laughs) i know that joke's all wet uh (laughs) stop it (laughs) anyway introducing your song so you don't talk about flight club okay (laughs) this is from pilot wings the some game the game and a remix by halsey it's lo-fi chippy fun stuff enjoy And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that, but don't talk about it. All right, Tim, uh, it's been a little bit. Let's do our take on Tales. All right, so we have this book club. Yes, I think we've talked about it a we little bit. We mentioned it, and we read Earthsea in it, actually. That was our first book, I think. Oh, yeah, it was. So we mentioned that. We, we like name drop. It's a good way for us to get new fodder of things to talk about. Yes. Nothing else. Yes. And um, it's
1: nice that we can both talk about it as yeah.
0: opposed to something you've read yeah. or like And I name dropped Musketeers too tonight. So. That's true,
1: which I didn't read that one. It's a
0: long one. <laughs> the book
1: club itself has been uh, struggling uh, in uh, consistency well, a little we bit. We had more a couple of really
0: long books this spring yeah. that slowed us down. And one of them, which we're going to talk about yeah. now. Is the Book of Strange New Things by Michael Faber,
1: and this was one that uh, I think it was. This was your suggestion. This was right? my
0: suggestion. I had heard about it a, a couple years ago. Um, World Magazine had picked it for their book, fiction book of the year, and it had been book of the year various other places as well.
1: Yeah, I th- and I think they largely picked it because it's a secular book, but the main character is a missionary, a Christian. Um, and it's one of the rare occasions of a secular uh, story communicating what it's like to be a Christian in a pretty you honest know, way, honest way, very you know, very uh, not
0: derogatory, just real, yes,
1: complimentary.
0: Yeah. So way. here's the general. We don't want to say we can't say a lot about it because the book's yeah. an experience, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But yeah. the main plot is that Peter is a Christian, a pastor, and he gets chosen to be a missionary on a foreign planet where these aliens have already heard about the Bible from a previous person, and they're called Jesus' lover one, Jesus' lover two, Jesus' lover three. They're very alien. Hmm. And um, they call the Bible the Book of Strange New Things. There's other stuff in the plot, like things are happening on Earth. He's separate, his wife has to stay home on Earth, yeah. and he's on this planet Oasis. And there's a lot of weird stuff happening on both planets.
1: Yeah, a big part of the story is his emailing, basically, for lack of a... Well, they have their own... It sounds really boring, but... (laughs) But his communications with his wife is a big part of it, because they, of course, separated by untold miles and this long distance and they miss each other very much. And so she tells him about things that are going on on earth and it's
0: really like catastrophe level stuff. Yeah. Like really bad, like end of the world sort of disasters. And
1: meanwhile, he is, he's working with these very unusual, you know, creatures and also kind of an odd duck, even in the other, with the other earthlings that he's working, he's
0: working with. One of the main thing, and there's lots of themes. It's a very literary book. Yes. Um, about 500 pages uh, but one of the main things really is communication and, and how we relate to other people or don't relate to other people. Yeah. Well. Well, there's a lot of levels. So h- him trying to communicate to his wife when they're in very different situations is a big one. Him trying to communicate with these aliens who speak very strange.
1: I mean they speak English, but they have a they have their whole other language, of course. But even even their, their communication. Of things is different. Like they, the, they purposely. It's interesting. I was thinking about this in our previous discussion. They purposely use his language a lot of times because they don't have a equivalent word for to to
0: say something. And they analyze at some point that their language is missing a lot of different ideas mm-hmm. that the human language has, like their thought. And there's and there's reasons, reasons for it reasons that right, we we'll yeah, won't we'll get into. into. Um, and then even his co-workers are communicating with them is just. One of the amazing things about this book is you just feel kind of disoriented for like 400 pages. Yeah. Uh, in a good way. I mean in a in a very purposeful way. You just feel like you're you're un, like you just can't quite get a hold of what's going on, which plays really well into some of the themes.
1: Well, and it's weird cuz like it's not as if it's like oh, it, it's just a, a very slow sort of you you can't quite put your finger on what you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> is is the main thing. Like it explains things well enough. It's not like
0: no, it's not, it's not, ve- it's not, it's ve- not, I mean, it's very well written, Very, but it just, you're just missing something.
1: Yeah. There's the constant feeling of disorientation. In, in which is, oh. which is astounding,
0: honestly. Hey, I mean, can.
1: I'll be honest, it can also be frustrating at times. <laughs> you just like, please, I just want some things to start making a little more sense. Like I've I have such a good grasp on all this other
0: stuff, but why, what's, why is this so feeling off? Okay. So we can't reveal much more than this, Tim. Yeah. So how, what do we want to say to our audience about this book? Um. <laughs> so uh, let me start with this. I think the book is a very enjoyable read. I think the ending is very ambiguous mm-hmm. and is where people have very different views or even maybe is a failure. The The, the ending is almost unsatisfactory or is depending on how you look where, at it. where you look at it. Um, and there's so many different readings of certain things. It's not as if, when you sort of get a better
1: grasp on what things are, it's not as if that's disappointing in a sense. No. Like, it wasn't like that's a cop-out or thing. No, there's good answers to things. But, like... Mm, <laughs> it's hard, hard to explain, explain much. Yeah. But it, there's still sort of a... For a 500-page book, it almost feels like it could have been, like, another 100 pages.
0: Yes. Like, yeah. easily. Like, if you had just a little it's bit more of It sort of, of kind this. of just ends, and there's... I think reasons why you could say it just ends there, but there's a lot you say, but why not another 50 pages and just yeah. finish stuff almost, up?
1: The fact that it almost is a little too short is kind of ironic.
0: <laughs> but there's a lot of themes of faith, themes of love, themes of relationships, themes of communication. Yeah. Um, and you can read them different ways. Like the faith one I know, you read slightly different than I did. Yeah, Quite well, I, I, and
1: not even, t- yeah, toward the end. It's, yeah. It is interesting though. I, and I, I don't know how much that is because for a, a good portion of the book, I was convinced that the author, like, I've never seen an author communicate what it's like, at least some of the, the thought processes that a Christian has so honestly and so well. Yeah. So I thought for sure the author must be one. Um, later I found out that that's not the case and it was made it much harder for me to interpret the, the end of the book, you know, as. Is not being reflective of the author's worldview in okay. that perspective. Yeah. But one of the interesting things about Peter, the character, is that you know he's constantly trying to understand and kind of help other people. He wants he asks questions about yeah. their circumstances and things like that. And I don't think he even realizes why he doesn't connect with some of the other people, some of the other yeah. humans. At the base, as well as he might have connected with people elsewhere, because yeah. he had different, he had different sort of routines. And yeah. these people, uh, this these humans at the Earth base, are there's something different about them, and yeah. it's, he has a harder time connecting with them for some reason. So there's there's that theme of communication, and that's that whole aspect of uh, of how a Christian wants to witness is something I I don't think very few secular works have ever come close to approaching this not that I've ever this read. well and yeah. even not honestly i would say not even that many christian books in some ways i mean granted i realized while reading that it's been actually been a long time since i've read christian fiction mm-hmm. in general so i don't I, i'll be honest i don't really know what the current status of that is um i just know that i would say from recent christian films of the last decade this is probably a little bit more honest in yeah. that way. In some in
0: some ways, I guess I would recommend to people like literary works and don't mind ambiguity. Ambiguity at the end. I mean, again, while it's while it's the Christian presented very honestly is not a Christian novel in the sense that you're not going to get a nice Christian message. At the message end. at the end. I think yeah. I think there's a lot of truth in the book. Yes, about. Sure. life and people and stuff mm-hmm. but i think it'd be frustrating for some people i mean it's kind of science fiction it's kind of drama it's kind of mystery it's it's kind it, of everything it, it's really unlike any other book i've ever read it i think that i would recommend to people who if that like sounds it. interesting exactly if you think that's cool that to read a book that's just different uh uh-huh. read this book if you like but i don't like different don't touch
1: it with the <laughs> pull.
0: but yeah. it's, it's just a weird a fascinating weird strange book of New and, things. Yeah.
1: Not only do you have to be okay with the ambiguity, you have to be satisfied with like understanding that you're not gonna get everything for like four hundred pages. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and that's a big it's a big commitment. But like like my sister Summer I think would love it. Hmm. Okay. Um like Zach probably not. Okay. <laughs> um That's fair. Something like that. Anyway, so that's the book of Stranger Things. Would you recommend it to that sort of people to the specific set of people we've recommended it to? Yes, yes, okay. <laughs> well, I didn't know if you had other people where you're like, no, I don't agree with you. you
1: know no, so. like
0: like it's it's a book. if I was still
1: working in a library I'd, I'd only have to be able to recommend it to a very specific audience. Mm-hmm. It, I can see that. It, yeah, I don't think it's so I don't think it's necessarily a book for everyone.
0: no, but it's certainly if you want it like it'd be a great book club book. There's a lot to talk about that's
1: that's that's
0: possible.' a literary book club, yeah, so all right. Do we have time for something else or not?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, Because I wanted to cover, this is not necessarily, we're going to include this with our take on tales because it's sort of a real life story, I guess.
0: It's a little place it fits.
1: Yeah. By the time this podcast comes out, it'll probably be like a month old. But if you've followed me on Facebook or Twitter, you may have seen me talk a little bit about a kerfuffle that came up in the Muppets world, in the Muppet fan community. Actually, it was a a Muppet fan site that I follow regularly, toughpigs.com. That actually first broke the story them and another Muppet fan site, The Muppet Mindset, where they realized that one of the Muppet performers, his characters hadn't been seen in uh, videos or appearances for quite a while. And they actually reached out to the Walt Disney Company and and were told, yes, Steve Whitmire, who performs Kermit the Frog, okay. um, is no longer uh, working with us and we wish wishing the best, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all we knew for a little bit. And we're like... Wait, what? And so our first thought when this news broke was that, oh man, I wonder if he's not doing well because he's you, one of the old guard, right? He's he is fairly old guard. He's he and Dave Goles, I think, are the only Muppet performers still actively. Well, they were the only Muppet performers still actively from working from that were on the Muppet Show. Okay. Steve Whitmire was pretty young at the time, and he didn't have, like, Rizzo started on The Muppet Show, but not until, like, season five. Okay. I think Steve Whitmire was there a little... I think he started in, like, season two, but he was doing background characters for a long time and, you know, supporting... Uh, that kind of stuff. I think he did, like, Ralph's other hand while Jim did... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the Muppet performers have always been such kind of a, a tight-knit group and uh, such a love for that sort of thing that it was inconceivable that one would leave or become fired. Maybe leave, because Frank Oz has, has kind of left to go on. To, he basically directs now. Yeah. Um. He hasn't really performed with the Muppets in a long time. But when... Steve Wemir revealed the news that he basically had been fired like way back in October. This was a huge shock, yeah um to so us like what what is this all about um and his story when this was first announced was that basically it had kind of come out of the blue for him that they had cited some business practices or something that he had done that and he tried to work through them, but they were they were just letting him go, and thats and it sounded. There are a lot of people that first off was like, okay, Disney's just being a corporate sell this is awful. But then but there are some of us that were like, you don't just fire the guy who plays Kermit the Frog. <laughs> yeah. That, that's just not something that you do. No. Like what what there's there's got to be more to this. And then through later, I think Disney later did a press release and then even the Henson kids themselves weighed on and their story was that Steve had basically tried to at first it was like he was trying to interject too much sway on it you you know because the Muppet performers have a very specific understanding of who the Muppets should be and sometimes it's hard for because they've they've been kind of floundering you know off and on sometimes in the last 20 30 years or or so Um, and sometimes you know different sets of producers writers or something may not understand that and I guess there was some you know there is a history of him trying to kind of push them to do Things a certain way, and they and, and then push back, and there was some pushback, and then there was also some issue about a, a union thing that he wasn't able to go do a, a commercial shoot, and that's I think that was a minor thing, or you or it was the straw that broke the camel's back, that, yeah. depending on how you look at it. But Steve's perspective was he he just couldn't understand why they couldn't just work past this stuff. But as the Henson kids started weighing on this, it was starting to get a lot uglier. Really? Where Brian Henson, who if you don't know the the Henson family history with all with all of this, you know, Jim Henson Company had the Muppets throughout the '90s, and then they sold them briefly to a German company in 2000. Then they bought them back from this company because that company basically kind of oversold its how big they were going to yeah. become. Um, so anyway, Henson Company bought them back, and then they sold them to Disney. Brian said that he actually. Shortly after that, he he has started wishing that he had let Disney get rid of Steve a long time ago. Oh, which this is see, and this is all really surprising. The fact, and he was saying that basically his story was that sometimes he would like send emails after a project, kind of cutting down a director or mm-hmm. this, that, or other. And this is all really shocking to all of us that there is this much dissension, this much you know non communication or yeah. d- disagreement because the Muppet behind the scenes has always been kind of seen as just as cooperative, just as much of a team sort of thing as the Muppets themselves. Yeah. Um, that, that sort of mutual respect was kind of a, a, keystone of that. Those of us who follow the behind the scenes stuff as much as the, you know, the movies and the, those of us who've been inspired by the, all the creativity. Yeah. And so, through all of this, and the sides have both sort of said different perspectives in this, I've kind of taken. I, I think there's two interesting takeaways from from all of this because I know I'm kind of rambling, but I want to. The reason why I wanted to bring all this up and talk about it because, yeah. The Muppet fan community, like I said, is kind of an unusual thing because we get so much inspiration from what they do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a very different level in some ways than like your average TV show because mm. it's like this troop of actors, this troop of puppeteers, you know, they work together and and to see them go through this, even though I hadn't really been doing as much in the Muppet fandom in the last year or so, um, it's sort of, it was like seeing some family or friends, you know, going through a big heartbreak. Yeah. And, being completely blindsided by it. But I think there's a couple things you take away. One, anyone who's in the public eye, we really only know what they show us. Yeah. <laughs> as, as much as we love hearing the interviews and perspectives and behind-the-scenes documentaries and stuff, it's very easy to forget that even that is still a production. Yeah. There's still an image that they are maintaining with that. And I'm not saying that the image is probably still very genuine. Yeah. I was thinking back in, um, Brian Hintzenek did a uh, commentary for The Muppet Christmas Carol because he was the director of that movie. And I remember him saying at one point uh, that whole conversation, the relationship between Gonzo and Rizzo, he said, is very, very much the same sort of relationship that Dave Gola and Steve Whitmire have. The same sort of kind of camaraderie or like, uh, you could just climb for those bars? Yeah. You are such an idiot. Why, why, why? And Brian said that he loves that kind of stuff because that is so much like their their relationship, this very kind of, you yeah. know. And so there's obviously, there is there was some affection for yeah. each other there. So I think that is genuine, but there's there's so much more going on. And who knows, Steve may, you know, I don't want to paint Steve as if being a complete bad guy because Steve Whitmire has always been, been nothing but... Kind, I mean, he is current the frog in, yeah. in all the ways. And his perspective too, in, in some ways, in all this, was that, well, I'll come back to that in a second. But anytime he's ever interacted with fans, he's the most polite, uh meanable. He loves interacting with fans. Yeah. But there's always a lot going on the scene behind the scenes that we don't necessarily see. Number two is that legacies are a very hard thing to manage. Mm. Because for one thing, everyone has different perspectives on what they see in a legacy.
2: Yeah,
1: um, Jim Henson is a perfect example of that. You can see that with a number of other sort of notable figures that, especially ones that died young for whatever reason. You know, you can have a lot of different people having giving their perspective on what Martin Luther King Jr. would have done in a certain yeah. situation, and people try to point to Jim and what he did, and and it's, it's very interesting in that the conversation not really a conversation and the sound bits that you <laughs> yeah. get from both sides of this sort of struggle that both are basically sort of saying, well, one, Jim wasn't like, he wouldn't have tolerated sort of this kind of, you know, no one, no one actor is more important than the others. Yeah. It's a, it's a group effort. Whereas also, Steve Whitmire was also saying, um, when Jim was first in talks with Disney, Shortly, bef- shortly before his death, he was in talks with Disney even then to have them buy the Muppets. And they, they had a very different perspective on characters and performers than he did at the yeah. time. That you don't just get whoever to perform the thing. It was very key that one performer to one character. Mm-hmm. Unless for some reason you needed a stand in for something, obviously. And so for, in his mind, that was supremely important. Why he felt like he had sort of a cloud. Why he wanted to push to do things a certain mm-hmm. way. So both of them are kind of pointing to Jim's legacy as sort of their foundation for why they do things. And I think that's important for those of us who look up to idols, who look up to people like Jim Henson as an inspiration, to not see them as a sole standard. Yeah, And that was one thing that when I, when I read his biography not too long ago, and, and even more recent, some other uh, book I read about how he, his business mm-hmm. methodology... I started to realize kind of where he and I were on different tracks in some ways, not just, you know, and not just necessarily from a worldview perspective, although there's some of that in there too, but even just how different people work differently. Mm-hmm. I am not going to be the, ever going to be the workaholic that Jim Henson yeah. was. <laughs> um, he had an insane work drive and he was able to focus so much effort on it. And that's probably not who I will ever be, mm-hmm. but That's not to say that even though we have these different tracks, I don't have to be Jim Henson. I can be me, who who God created me to be.
0: Not Um, easy being green.
1: It's not easy being green. (laughs) Um, So I think it's interesting, too, to realize that even our heroes are not the end-all, be-all. And that um, those of us who try to walk in their shadows, we're going to fail at times. Yeah.
0: So that's, that's a long spiel, I'm
1: sorry that I didn't
0: leave much room for you to speak. Oh, no, that's what, no, I didn't have much to say. I I hadn't kept up with it. I knew it was a thing, and I figured I'd, you'd fill me in. So. <laughs> yeah, and
1: like I said, there's, I knew I had a, a lot of thoughts about this whole thing because it's, like I said, it's, it's weird. Like, I, I'm not someone that normally, like, focuses in on celebrity gossip or yeah. all that kind of stuff, but uh, this is one particular fandom that, you know, I've said a lot, I I'm not as invested as some people. I don't run my own Muppet fan site or yet. <laughs> or do or really even engage in the forums and stuff. But it's something I've always paid close attention it's been a to a big
0: inspiration. Yeah. And you don't like to see some of it fall apart even the back end. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah.
1: It's 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 unfortunate, but it's, you know, it's it's a learning thing. Yeah. So and you know, even a. um people that we really look up to you know we will take different things like i probably enjoy movies a whole lot more than tolkien did <laughs> you know, from
0: what i hear that's true <laughs> you did not much care for some of them man they did not like snow white yeah <laughs> that, we tolkien that lewis article. man no they it did not like apart. snow white at all yeah <laughs> They had a very different view of dwarves.
1: Yes. Well, and they had a different, very different view of mythology than and fairy tales. And, yeah, fairy tales. So they, they only saw the the beginning of fairy tale as sort of a pop culture sort of phenomenon. Yeah, they probably would not like
0: it at all at I, this point. I imagine they'd hate Once Upon a Time, actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> almost assuredly. With a passion. <laughs> um, almost as much as Zach does. No. Um,
1: well, I, I've rambled a bit. You, right. Anything else you want to throw in here to take on tales before we wrap up? I don't it up? know.
0: Not if it's short. I thought I'd about throw a Dunkirk we would wait.
1: Dunkirk, yeah, that can
0: I can wait next that'll time. that will be a longer talk anyways. Yeah,
1: and we we want to do probably next episode we'll do
0: our uh, annual summer movie wrap up. Yeah, which I don't know how many I've seen this summer actually. But anyways. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, I guess that, that that'll be our the end of our um Take on Tales and I guess we need to do some contact info in your soundtrack. So, yes. um remember we have Facebook page, and we've been using it. So come join us. <laughs> yes,
1: uh, give us a like. We're we've been kind of stuck at like forty three likes on Facebook. I I'd like to g- get us over to hump. Let's get a. We'd like to see forty four.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean I, I, fifty. I, I'm looking for fifty here. <laughs> <laughs> so invite your friends. Maybe maybe
0: we need some sort of incentive program. Oh, well, that would be good. We should you know we should have a section of the of the program where we're just like and this is our uh, you know our fan uh, advertiser section. Be like today uh, or you know actually we're gonna have a an ad at some point on this podcast from um Brian and Nathan they have a promo thing we need to go in oh, here at some okay. point but yes that, anyways we'll do that later. for our spin-off podcast yeah
1: spin yeah well not our spin-off podcast our uh
2: we we gave cut, birth to We Gave some, birth
1: yeah we we it uh, was conceived on our podcast on episode 50 right yes episode 50. anyways so for our 50th episode maybe well, I mean for our 50th uh Facebook follower or maybe we need to give them something Pro-
0: yes it was when you when you bring some a new little section for for our fans i think that'd be good
1: yeah well we've got listener feedback but we haven't been able to use it because we haven't gotten much feedback well communication we get- guys words are important <laughs> no i mean we actually we do if have. you people- never tell
0: your your podcasters that you love them they won't know it <laughs> actually to be fair
1: we've had some people tell us that in person yeah no but it'd be fun <laughs> to have some comments to uh interact with
0: you got a lot of comments on your update your uh, Comic Con update. Oh, that's true. And we won't have time to talk about that yeah, now. But maybe,
1: maybe, maybe in the future,
0: episode. we should. Um, <laughs> we just we throw them under the bus when they do comment So
2: <laughs> So, anyways, anyways
0: yes. Um, like, so us fa- like us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on iTunes. I mean, check us out our website, DrollTrainsOfThought.blogspot.com.
1: Etc. I think Et you covered and,
0: and check out the weekly hijack. We're finally getting out Doctor Who. <laughs> yes,
1: uh, I apologize for the delay on that, but the nice thing about it is we were able to build up a backlog, so a weekly hijack should be Weak- fairly cons- <laughs> weekly, <laughs> consistently, I think. And even when Doctor Who ends, uh, we might have a surprise in store.
0: Ooh, we're kind of excited.
1: Yes, but uh, we'll we'll see we'll see we'll see how it goes. Uh, we may once upon a time may interrupt it. I have we haven't really decided how we're going to handle that yet. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Anyways, soundtrack Tim. Okay, my soundtrack. Well, I'm going back to uh, Final Fantasy IX and the World's Apart album, but there's a reason for this. It's not just because it's a of the great the album. album. Yeah. Well, that's a good reason too. But it is Nobu Masu. The song from the album Bibliotheca, B- Biblioteca, probably uh, slash Dreamer in the Library uh, is the name of this remix, and it is by Kate the Great nineteen. Who I've I've picked her before. I love her from Final Fantasy Nine, even. Yes, um, and I love her style. She she collaborated with, Chaley, um, who provided the uh, the Latin translation for the lyrics in this. So words are important, but Latin's even more important. Matt, La- yeah, Latin words. That's when you know you you're going up a scale in the remix yeah. uh, ladder. Um, and this song actually takes place. If you listen to the translation, which there's a really cool video um, that she link. made that I'll put on Facebook at some point. Um, that has a translation and it's all about reading books and words and being inspired by by what that could mean for your life
0: which seems like that might apply I think it would good
1: so and uh, I think we're being looked at very sternly we're
0: getting kind of of energetic and it's not very energetic tower
1: yes so we we probably should um, quietly make our way so um, until next time this is Tim
0: this is Nick
1: and have a great day shh